You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello and welcome to Indie Ninjas Attack, your secret guide to music industry domination for indies, managers, and artists. Powered by Indie.Ninja, the freelance platform for the music business. I'm your host, Matt Bacon of Dropout Media, and on these podcasts, we will be having real, practical conversations with some of the most respective names in the business. From the studio to marketing, we'll get you covered. On today's episode of Indie Ninjas Attack, we will be talking to Torgrim Oire, the man behind Beyond the Gates Festival, manager of Abath and Gal, among others, a real fascinating business mind in the world of underground black metal. He has a lot of interesting stories for us to tell, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this, even if you're not especially interested in black metal. So I am here with Torgrim Oire, um, music manager, booker of Beyond the Gates, um, a whole bunch of other things. How are you today, Torgrim? I'm fine, thank you. All things considered. Yeah, that's the, the re- all things considered is the real um, sentence of the year. Yeah, I guess so. So <clears throat> just to provide some background, you know, we, I, I mentioned obviously the management and the Beyond, Beyond the Gates what other core um, elements of your work do people maybe not know about? Well, um, I kind of started out uh, booking a festival called Hole in the Sky. Uh, yep. It was started as a tribute festival to a key figure in the Bergen metal scene called Erich Grimm Brotherschaft. Uh, he used to play drums for bands like uh, Gorgroth and uh, Borknaga, among others, and so that festival sort of laid the foundation for my work today. We uh, we kept it going from 2000 all the way up to 2011 when we decided to, you know, put the festival to rest for, yeah, we sort of felt that we come as far as we could within that format. And then uh, I started Beyond the Gates. And apart from that, I'm... Uh, part-time music journalist for a daily newspaper in uh, Norway called Dagbladet, where I mostly review records, concerts, and edit some reviews as well. And then how did you get involved in the management side of things? I think it was just more or less a natural progression from dealing with a lot of artists and bands uh, uh when booking the festivals and running the festivals and you get to know a lot of people in the business and uh, so it kind of it, it kind of started with me booking shows for Neflime actually the Swedish uh, mm-hmm. uh, black heavy thrash band uh, so I started working with them for a few years and then uh, it went on from there as picked up management for uh, Galsverd, uh, when uh, when Gal started his new band in 2015. So uh, I worked with them for a few years, I still do. And then I took on the management for Abbath uh, last year. So 
uh, it's sort of a natural progression really uh, and, and it's everything is like linked together in a way uh, so to speak so I guess you know what was your entry point into the scene as a whole uh, it started off with uh, being a, a musician or trying to be <laughs> at least I um, had my own band back in the 90s called uh, Malignant Eternal and then I had a stint with uh, Gorgoroth in the end, our last part of the 90s. Uh, and I was also involved in a few other bands like Aternus and, uh, and Obtain Enslavement very briefly, mostly as a session musician. So, and then after realizing that uh, I, might, uh, I might not get as far as I was hoping to with my own band, I found out that it's either everything or nothing so uh, and I also at that time I had started to have a keen interest in more of the business aspect of the scene as well so it kind of was a when I laid my musical ambitions to rest I sort of uh, started off trying to create something instead That's a really cool. I mean, it's a it's a logical progression. What do you? What kind of triggered this interest in the business side of the music industry? I don't know really, but I've always had a interest in what's going on behind the scenes and what how everything is sort of you know is put together or how things work. Sort of the wheels behind all the artists and and. You just when we started Hole in the Sky in uh, in 1999, everybody was kind of just doing everything. And after a few years, you it started to uh, things started to gel, and you found your uh, uh, your tasks and what you were good at. And my my sort of uh, thing was putting the lineups together, and I had always you know a lot of bands that I felt that worked in that setting and it sort of uh, just became a huge interest in trying to puzzle these lineups together and make them as good as uh, as possible and it became sort of a I don't know almost a sport to try and outdo yourself for each year uh, so it was the actual booking and the prog- the creative side of the putting together the lineup was kind of what I was uh, that drew me into the whole thing uh, or what I find uh, rewarding and interesting. And so that kind of gets into one of the things I wanted to get into with you. Mm -hmm. When you're, how do you, how do you put together a lineup? What's sort of the logic there? How do you plot it so that you don't lose money and plot it so that people remain interested for all three or four or even five days of these festivals? Yeah, um, that too is a learning curve. But obviously, I think the key thing is to you have to book first and foremost with your heart. You have to try and find your voice, so uh, if to say or so to speak, and try to find a direction for everything you do. Uh, but it has to come from a keen interest. It has to be honest in some way, and then. Obviously, you learn from experience that mm-hmm. you have to be careful with uh, so and so. But but uh, uh, the main 
thing is that you need to be honest about it and try to do something with enthusiasm because then uh, the the audience will uh, take on that energy or uh, that enthusiasm will you know rub off uh, to the audience if you just try to calculate and we need this band because that sells to that kind of group of people and that band sells to that group of people it, it, it people will see through that in the, and it you will lose the edge or the or the yeah or should i say yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, but from on a year to year basis we sort of try and uh, what do you want to do next year? Because I've sort of tried to find a thread or a, a red line or something like that. And mm-hmm. you build, a, a, you know, put together a dream lineup, so to speak. And then you just start to work through it. What you, uh, and see what you, what kind, if you can get the bands you have on your notebook. Uh, and if you can't, you have to search for alternatives, but it's always, as best as you can, try to make it stick together in a good way. It sort of have a logic. Uh, it, it, the bands need to work together. Uh, you can have two great bands, but it they doesn't necessarily work together. So it's about finding that piece of the puzzle that makes everything, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, stay to, or get together as a whole, make sense as a whole. This is where it gets kind of interesting, you know, is piecing it together as a whole. Mm. And so, like, for example, with Beyond the Gates, Mm. what are some of the key parts you see yourself as needing? Well, uh, obviously, uh, the festival has grown quite a bit over the years. Uh, We started out in uh, in 2012, and the aim was just to book really, we didn't want to, be headliner focused. We just wanted to put great underground bands that we really wanted to see ourselves, and uh, and just try and you know make it interesting for a really narrow core group of people. So I think the overall uh, the we had nine hundred tickets sure. for sale for three days or during those uh, three days. So it, it's quite intimate. Uh, next year we will have nine thousand tickets uh, for sale for uh, during those five days. So, uh, but I don't know, but we will always try to, you know, divide the days up in and have a different angle for each day. We have one day that is more leaned towards the black metal underground uh, direction of the scene. And then there's always been a, a day that um, are more heavy metal, cult rock, doom-ish oriented. And then there's uh, uh, then there can be a death metal thrash day, for instance. But we try to you know, separate uh, things so, so that every day has its own unique approach. If you see what I mean. Sure, and I think that's really important for like not going insane when you're at a festival. Yes, exactly, and it's not the. Uh, I mean, uh, quality over quantity every day. So if we if we can yeah. find like five or six bands that really everybody wants to see that really works, I'd much rather have six bands a day than 20 bands a day and seven bands is some likes to see because you clutter things up if you if you overdo it. I mean, if you have uh, five uh, uh, 
bands and uh, great bands and three not so great bands that will you know take away from the five great bands so <laughs> it's, it's uh, for us it's more important with quality uh, than quantity so uh, and also being a sort of underground festival with a with a relatively intimate capa uh, or uh, sized venues um, that allows us to be a little bit more what could I say uh, yeah narrow-minded if, if you see what I mean or uh, we don't have to go full scale uh, in order to fill up our uh, our venues well yeah and I think that's part of the appeal is it's like and I think this is important in metal, especially where it's like, this is the thing within the thing. So if you're like really dedicated, it's going to be for you. Exactly. And if not, we don't need you there. Exactly. So it's like, it's like trying to give people a different experience to, I mean, uh, nothing against the big outdoor festivals that you see in a field like Wacken or uh, a Summer Breeze or all those massive festivals. It's uh, they are great as well, but we try to offer a different atmosphere and a different, more intimate uh, uh, festival experience. So you can have, you know, you can have both, and uh, but we try to be a little bit different. From my experience, having gone to Beyond the Gates in particular, one of the things that really appeals is like, oh, everyone here knows just as much about black metal as I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that doesn't really happen when you're the type of black metal fan who would go to Beyond the Gates. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I think that's uh, 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 some of the appeal as well, because uh, you meet a lot of uh, like-minded people that are really into st- the same stuff as you are and and also the intimate nature of the city I mean Bergen is a small city and yeah. every, everything is really you know we use several venues but everything is in walking distance uh, and, uh, and everybody visits the same pubs and the musicians go to the same pubs uh, so you could it's like a mix between uh, you meet all the people. You can meet the uh, the band that are playing on stage uh, at night uh, in the pub afterwards, and it's like it's like it's not uh, it, at the big festivals. You're sort of a you know one in a, one in seventy thousand, but here you are one in maybe thousand, two thousand, uh, uh, and uh, so it, it's a different uh, ball game and a different atmosphere. What prompted you from going? Blah. What prompted you to go from nine hundred to nine thousand? Well, uh, that too uh, uh, was a natural progression, or maybe not. Uh, f- uh, when we started out with nine hundred tickets, we were like, uh, and I mean, this was a, was a three day festival, so it was three hundred tickets a day for three days. Uh, we just wanted everything to be low key, uh, low shoulders, and very, very uh, intimate. But uh, when we had we'd done that for five years, we sort of felt that again that we had done uh, everything we could within the, that framework. So, in order to challenge ourselves or be able to 
offer a different uh, experience or build on the on the already existing experience. We needed to do things slightly different. So we in 2017 we moved to a bigger venue. Uh, and although we didn't use the full cap the first year, it was uh, we grew quite considerably, uh, or, or or a lot from the years before, and uh, it was just to you know enable us to do more and expand on the previous uh, festivals, and and that has happened continuously for the past three or four years. Obviously, we couldn't stage the festivals uh, festival in 2020. So we're making it even bigger in 2021 in order to salvage most of the 2020 lineup and also uh, add a few things that we had already booked for our 10, uh, 10th edition anniversary, which was supposed to take place in 2021. So, so 2021 will be a mix of 2020 and what was supposed to be 2021. And that lineup is completely insane. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, actually, it is. But uh, yeah, we, we've been uh, we've been fairly lucky with that one because it's it, it's more or less a, a, a dream festival for our uh, from our side. It's a bit of everything that we've. It's a bit of a best of festival. Uh, in addition, it's a bit a new uh, a few new things with uh, obviously Merciful Faith being the biggest band we've ever booked and. Um, and also we have this very special uh, event going on in Greg Hound with, um, with Emperor Enslaved and Mayhem performing some very classic material that was recorded in Greg Hound. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. But I think even though uh, the festival is uh, a lot bigger than it used to be, it still have uh, or we have managed to keep uh, the ethos from or, or, or some of the ethics uh, intact. We have a lot of underground stuff. We have uh, also intimate concerts uh, at Quarteria. Uh, so even though we're bigger, we're still small and intimate in parts. Yeah. And finding a way to cater between the two is really interesting to watch. Yeah. And yeah, that's a challenge. Uh, but uh, still, uh, still, um, I mean, if you do things from the heart, I think that will show. Anyway, so uh, and uh, this is a festival for fans by fans. So, and that, uh, that's yeah, people can tell intent. Hopefully, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right. So now I just want to circle over to the management side of things. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, because, you know, there's obviously a lot of layers to this and a lot of different styles of management, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the band, the manager themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your style of management? Good question. I mean, we're fairly small. Uh, we're two persons working uh, in the management now, and uh, we only have a handful of artists. But I mean, our approach is we don't want to push uh, the artist in a direction that the artist doesn't want to go only to, you know, this will enhance your 
career possibilities or whatever, we do try to facilitate that the artist can be the artist uh, the artist wants to be, if you see what I mean. And we're mm-hmm. not uh, pushing aggressively. We're more like trying to build uh, steadily, but so try and uh, make a foundation for the artist to relax and, and be able to you know, focus on what the artist should should focus on uh, the creative side, uh, and and we, uh, for instance, with Galsworth, we started off pretty slowly, and we we just released one album so far. We, we've done quite a few tours, and uh, and the artist is progressing all the time. But we have not been very aggressive about it. We're, we're taking our time to take it bit by bit, and it seems like that works for Galsworth. For instance, and uh, so we just try and feel the artist out and uh, and find what's the right tempo and the right energy to to work with that artist. Well, obviously, uh, uh, it's also a, we could probably use a few more people in the office to you know be able to handle every aspect of the management as well as we uh, we should. But uh, I think. We will get there as well because we, we you know, obviously, it's a matter of uh, finances and resources. But uh, and these days, it's not very easy to put it mildly. So, what attracts you to an artist for management? Uh, obviously, the artist needs to be ambitious and uh, and hungry. Uh, and uh, and have something unique, I guess. Uh, I think we're both uh, obviously Abbas is a, uh, a veteran in many ways. He's been uh, playing with uh, Immortal for many years, but he's still hungry, and he has a very unique and distinct style of music that I can relate to uh, um, on a personal level. So it's really easy to understand where he wants to go uh, and what, what he wants. Uh, so, and also how his music uh, communicates with an audience, uh, both aesthetically and musically. So, uh, so that, that's kind of a no brainer on my part. Uh, and, um, and Galsworth also has a really unique, uh, way of uh, expressing uh, or golf has a uh, very unique way of expressing himself as an artist and that band has a very different approach to the extreme metal than many other bands uh, in the general which is also appealing uh, in its own right so um, it's just I mean uh, and also obviously you have to hit it on uh, uh, on a personal level because if you, yeah. if you can't stand each other, it's not going to work in the long run. Uh, even though, if the band is successful uh, and you are, you have the right contacts uh, and everything, you have to uh, find a, a, a connection on a personal level in order to, you know, have faith in each other. Obviously, there will always be arguments and stuff like that, but uh, but there has to be some sort of connection. this is the other sort of big question that comes up is at what point should a band be looking at hiring a manager? 
Oh, uh, that's a good question as well, because uh, it depends on where you want to go and where you can go. Uh, obviously, uh, take an example like a band like Ghost, which were pretty obvious from the get-go that this band is going somewhere. So they can aim for a established management that are able to invest uh, in that band for, to get somewhere because they have the financial uh, platform or you know freedom to work on a band long term in order to get them where they can go. Uh, but if you uh, uh, but if you're a band uh, that are needs a lot of care uh, and uh, and work, that's hard to take on for a small management like. Uh, like us because we are as as I said we're we're sm- small uh, management with two persons working we we can start from scratch with a band and invest two or three years uh, in it because we also need some sort of uh, immediate uh, return or uh, to, to keep going so I don't know uh, it, it depends if there's a if there's a big demand for you you can go uh, you obviously have a, a, um, you know you there's you probably need a management but uh, if you're just starting out and you need you need to work some years to sort of to do the legwork and uh, get out there I don't know. Uh, it depends. It, it's so it's very difficult to say because it depends on the nature of the artist and what your potential is and what type of band you are and stuff like that. I agree with that, you know, because I think you even see, you know, I think Enslaved was self-managed until relatively recently. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, they were pretty, pretty established before uh, they yeah. started working with the management, and um, and for a, for an underground band, that's usually the story. You know, uh, if you are uh, if you have aspired to be a huge commercial act, a big management can probably pick you up and uh, uh, and give you that or see if you have that uh, potential early on. But for uh, for uh, for uh, for an underground act that doesn't, let's be honest about it. Uh, uh, generate a lot of income or or uh, you can always get a manager but that manager probably has to work pro bono for you for a long time you know before. so yeah. really depends on what type of artist you are and where you're going then this ties into sort of the next question which is like you know we've talked about what you do and when to hire you but what do you view, especially for like a smaller management company, which I think a lot of the bands listening to this would be looking at, you know, mm. what do you view as the unique value add of management in general? You know, I think that a lot of people, and obviously a lot of people try to hire managers too early, mm. but, you know, some people hold out too long on hiring a manager. What do you view as the added value of a manager, especially a manager at a relatively small company? First and foremost, 
Uh, it's about connections uh, and make you talk to the uh, a manager can guide you in the right direction and get the r- right people on board. You know the right booking agent for you, and uh, and probably guide you where which territories you should aim at as a live artist and uh, and stuff like that. But it's also, I mean, uh, as uh, when you look at bands these days, you also. Uh, you're not necessarily only looking for musical talent. You also uh, look for how a band conduct or an artist conduct themselves. Uh, are they mm-hmm. skilled uh, in social media? Are they are they you know proactive themselves uh, and stuff like that? But uh, it's a, it's a it's a mixed game. But uh, but first and foremost, the, the, uh, I see the manager's role is to give the freedom to. To focus on uh, on what you're good at, uh, and uh, and sort of facilitate that uh, you have the right setup around you uh, that increases your chances for success. And um, you know, yeah, uh, all the business things can easily wear out people in a band when you have to do everything uh, on your own. So, sort of take away some of that pressure. That's a really good way to put it, uh, because I guess sort of you're talking about the connections, and this is a serious question. Mm. You know, obviously you manage two of the biggest names in black metal, mm. right? In that sort of situation, how do you use your connections to help grow them when everyone in black metal knows who they are, and most people in black metal want to work with them? It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but but you get a sure. the gut feeling is often important as well, you know, because uh, when you're in the industry, you meet a lot of people, you meet label people, you meet agents, you meet promoters and stuff like that, and you just when you work with an artist, you have sort of uh, when you have some experience from the business, you sort of get the idea which people. Uh, or which label or, or which uh, agents mm-hmm. are right for this artist who can do a good job for for your artist and that's mm-hmm. that's just uh, that's uh, something you pretty often feel in your gut so uh, I mean uh, both Galsverd and, uh, and Abbath is on Season of Mist and I feel uh, that that's a very good home for those guys to be, to be at because yeah. The way the label communicate and the size of the bands, uh, and it's like it makes sense because uh, I think it's a two-way thing that about this good for season miss and vice versa because it, 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 you don't you, you the size of about makes him uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, important band for season uh, season missed and uh, so it's yeah, easy to massive. communicate around it. If you put Abbott on a major label, the chances are that if the, the, the record isn't an immediate success, he will like okay, talk to you later, and then you're stuck, you know, because nobody wants to talk to you or uh, anything like that. So um, it's finding the right balance uh, where you get the uh, the priority uh, the artist needs, or so yeah. And that's, I think, a very legitimate and logical answer, you know. And I guess sort of the question out of that, you know, is building from gut feeling, building from 
this deeper understanding. How are you, you know, obviously when you come in with someone like Abbott, there's something of a team and some infrastructure kind of already there Mm. because of the label, et cetera. Mm. But when you're looking at building out a team as the manager, Mm. what sort of roles are you looking to fill? How are you looking, you know, what, what do you want to see out of the people you're hoping to work with? Be that freelancers or labels or whatever. It's basically uh, communication and energy uh, and interest, you know. They are uh, proactive uh, and if they sound genuine uh, and they show a genuine understanding for the artistical side of the artist, um, it's sort of if you are in the same wavelength, I mean... It's sort of a no-brainer, but uh, but uh, I mean, uh, communi- communication and understanding is key, you know. And uh, if you feel that uh, people are really investigating their time into making this project that you have, or this uh, thing you have in between you, a uh, success, that's um, all it takes, really. Uh, and then and then you see uh, see how it goes, but uh, and and adjust. To the results, but uh, but it's mostly like communication uh, and the energy uh, and enthusiasm people show the project, and then somebody can be enthusiastic one day, and then the next day they don't care. But uh, but then you have to make changes. But uh, that's the door opener, so to speak. As we kind of head towards the end of this one, do you have any words of wisdom to bands looking to hire managers? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, a sort of a set thing or a set rule, but I mean, in the, when a band starts out and... You always watch for what they're capable of doing on all levels. Like I said, uh, obviously a manager should be there to take away a lot of the business stress and all that. But in the in the beginning, that's if you show a good understanding of the whole business that it, it's running a band right now. That's a good start, you know. If you are proactive, promoting yourself. Uh, care about the aesthetics, care about the the music and how you present yourself uh, and uh, all those things. That's that's all. And show uh, uh, genuine interest in putting in some effort because you have to work really hard to get anywhere. It's just, it's not uh, not enough to write good songs and then uh, lean back and hope that your agent and your manager is going to take you to stratospheric heights because you have to really, really go for it and put a lot of effort and energy into your project. Otherwise, it won't work. So, I I mean, the dedication bit is a really big factor and people see that very quickly or yeah. uh, read that from an us is very quickly where his mindset if you if you are really uh, going for it and show a lot of enthusiasm and understanding that's uh, something people will take to or industry people will take to absolutely I think there's no end of bands who will tell you yeah bro we'll go on tour as soon as you sign us yeah yeah 
that's that's the biggest misconception uh, ever. Uh, you know, you record a demo and uh, and an agent likes your music, and then you do a deal, and then you think you're going on tour for the rest the rest of the years. It's not that easy. You have to really, really work hard. Yeah. So it's just uh, it, it's a helping hand, but you still have to put in a, a, the legwork yourself. Absolutely, nothing's handed. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Torgrim. And thank you, Torgrim, for having spent so much time and having had so many thoughtful answers for us. We really deeply appreciate it. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be hearing from Jesse Cannon, one of my personal favorite figures in the music industry, especially in the education space. And I guarantee you that conversation is really deep and really interesting. This episode was produced and sound designed by Brad Worrell at Soundwag. Music by Outburst and Killing Time, courtesy of Blackout Records. Indie Ninja's Attack is powered by Indie.Ninja, the freelance marketplace for the music business where you can hire designers, motion graphic experts, and top marketers to help you with all the thankless, invisible jobs that go into launching a record or career. Opinions expressed on this podcast may or may not be the opinions of Indie.Ninja, Inc. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.